Chapter 8 of Wolfbane by Frederick Pohl and C. M. Kornbluth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Handel plodded angrily through the high grass toward the dull throb of the diesel. Maybe it had been a mistake to take this Glen Tropile into the colony. He was more citizen than wolf. No, cancel that, Handel thought. He was more wolf than citizen. But the wolf in him was tainted with sheep's blood. He competed like a wolf, but in spite of everything, he refused to give up some of his sheep's ways. Meditation. He had been cautioned against that. But had he given it up? He had not. If it had been entirely up to Handel, Glenn Tropile would have found himself back among the sheep, or dead. Fortunately for Tropile, it was not entirely up to Handel. The community of wolves was by no means a democracy but the leader had a certain responsibility to his constituents and the responsibility was this he couldn't afford to be wrong like the old gray wolf who protected Mowgli he had to defend his actions against attack if he failed to defend the pack would pull him down and innocent thought they needed tropile not in spite of the taint of the citizen that he bore but because of it Handel bawled tropile tropile where are you there was only the wind and the thrump of the diesel it was enormously irritating handel had other things to do than to chase after glenn tropile and where was he there was the diesel idling wastefully there at the end of the pattern furrows tropile had plowed there was a small fire burning and there was tropile handel stopped frozen his mouth open about to yell tropile's name it was Tropile, all right, staring with concentrated, oyster-eyed gaze at the fire and the little pot of water it boiled. Staring, meditating, and over his head like a flawed glass in a pane was the thing Handel feared most of all things on earth. It was an eye. Tropile was on the very verge of being translated, whatever that was. Time, maybe, to find out what that was. Handel ducked back into the shelter of the high grass, knelt, plucked his radio communicator from his pocket, urgently called. Innocent! Innocent! Will somebody, for God's sake, put Innocent on? Seconds passed. The voices answered. Then there was Innocent. Innocent, listen. You want to catch Tropile in the act of meditation? All right, you've got him. The old wheat field, south end, under the elms around the creek. Get here fast, Innocent. There's an eye forming above him. Luck. Lucky that they were ready for this, and only by luck, because it was a helicopter that Innocent had patiently assembled for the attack on Everest that was ready now, loaded with instruments, planned to weigh and measure the aura around the pyramid, now at hand when they needed it. That was luck, but there was driving hurry involved, too. It was only a matter of minutes before Handel heard the wobbling drone of the copter, saw the vanes fluttering low over the hedges, dropping to earth behind the elms. Handel raised himself cautiously and peered. Yes, Tropile was still there, and the eye still above him, but the noise of the helicopter had frayed the spell. Tropile stirred. The eye wavered and shook, but did not vanish. Thanking what passed for his god, Handel scurried circuitously around the elms and joined Innocent at the chopper. 
Innocent was furiously closing switches and pointing lenses. They saw Tropile sitting there, the eye growing larger and closer over his head. They had time, plenty of time, oh, nearly a minute of time. They brought to bear on the silent and unknowing form of Glenn Tropile every instrument that the copter carried. They were waiting for Tropile to disappear. He did. Innocent and Hendel hunched at the thunderclap as air rushed in to replace him. We've got what you wanted, Hendel said harshly. Let's read some instruments. Throughout the translation, high tensile magnetic tape on a madly spinning drum had been hurling under twenty-four recording heads at a hundred feet per second. Output to the recording heads had been from every kind of measuring device they had been able to conceive and build, all loaded on the helicopter for use on Mount Everest, all now pointed directly at Glen Tropile. They had, at the instant of translation, readings from one microsecond to the next on the varying electric, gravitational, magnetic, radiant, and molecular state conditions in his vicinity. They got back to Innocent's workshop and the laboratory inside it in less than a minute, but it took hours of playing back the magnetic pulses into machines that turned them into scribed curves on coordinate paper before Innocent had anything resembling an answer. He said, No mystery. I mean, no mystery except the speed. Want to know what happened to Tropile? I do, said Hendel. A pencil of electrostatic force maintained by a pinch effect bounced down the approximate azimuth of Everest. God knows how they handled the elevation, and charged him and the area positive. A big charge, clear off the scale. They parted company. He was bounced straight up. A meter off the ground, a correcting vector was applied. When last seen, he was headed fast in the direction of the pyramid's binary. Fast. So fast that I would guess he'll get there alive. It takes an appreciable time, a good part of a second, for his protein to coagulate enough to make him sick and then kill him. If the pyramids strip the charges off him immediately on arrival, as I should think they will, he'll live. Friction? Be damned to friction, Innocent said calmly. He carried a packet of air with him, and there was no friction. How? I don't know. How are they going to keep him alive in space without the charges that hold air? I don't know. If they don't maintain the charges, can they beat the speed of light? I don't know. I can tell you what happened. I can't tell you how. Handel stood up thoughtfully. It's something, he said grudgingly. It's more than we ever had, a complete reading at the instant of translation. We'll get more, Handel promised. Innocent, now that you know what to look for, go on looking for it. Keep every possible detection device monitoring 24 hours a day. Turn on everything you've got that'll find a sign of the imposed modulation. At any sign, or at somebody's hunch that there might be a sign, I'm to be called. If I'm eating, if I'm sleeping, if I'm enjoying with a woman, call me, you hear? Maybe you were right about Tropile. Maybe he did have some use. He might give the pyramids a bellyache. Innocent, flipping the magnetic tape drum to rewind, said thoughtfully, It's too bad they've got him. We could have used more readings. Too bad? 
Handel laughed sharply. This time they got themselves a wolf. The pyramids did have a wolf, a fact that did not matter in the least to them. It was not possible to know what mattered to a pyramid, except by inference. But it is possible to know that they had no way of telling wolf from citizen. The planet which was their home, Earth's old moon, was small, dark, atmosphereless, and waterless. It was completely built over, much of it with propulsion devices. In the old days, when technology had followed war, luxury, government, and leisure, the pyramid's sun had run out of steam, and about the same time they had run out of the components they imported from the neighboring planet. They used the last of their components to implement their stolid metaphysic of hauling and pushing. They pushed their planet. They knew where to push it. Every pyramid, as it stood, was a radio astronomy observatory, powerful and accurate beyond the wildest dreams of earthly radio astronomers. From this start, they built instruments to aid their naked senses. They went into a kind of hibernation, reducing their activity to a bare trickle, except for a small crew, and headed for Earth. They had every reason to believe they would find more components there, and they did. Tropile was one of them. The only thing that set him apart from the others was that he was the most recent to be stockpiled. The religion, or vice, or philosophy he practiced made it possible for him to be a component. Meditation, derived from Zen Buddhism, was a windfall for the pyramids, though, of course, they had no idea at all what lay behind it, and did not care. They knew only that at certain times certain potential components became components, which were no longer merely potential, which were, in fact, ripe for harvesting. It was useful to them that the mines they cropped were utterly blank. It saved the trouble of blanking them. Tropile had been harvested at the moment his inhibiting conscious mind had been cleared, for the pyramids were not interested in him as an entity capable of will and conception. They used only the raw capacity of the human brain and its preceptors. They used Reshevsky's number, the gigantic, far more than astronomical expression that denotes the number of switching operations performed within the human brain. They used subception, the phenomenon by which the reasoning mind, uninhabited by consciousness, reacts directly to stimulus, shortcutting the cerebral sensors, avoiding the weighing of shall I or shan't I that precedes every conscious act. Harvested minds were components. It was not desirable that your bedroom wall switch have a mind of its own. If you turn the lights on, you want them on. So it was with the pyramids. A component was needed in the industrial complex, which transformed catabolism products into anabolism products. With long experience gained since their planet fall, pyramids received the tabula rasa that was Glen Tropile. He arrived in one piece, wearing a blanket of air. Quick frozen mentally at the moment of inert blankness his meditation had granted him, the psychic drunkard's coma. He was cushioned on repellent charges as he plummeted down, and instantly stripped of surplus electrostatic charge. At this point, he was still human, only asleep. Annular fields they used for lifting and lowering seized him 
and moved him into a snug tank of nutrient fluid there were many such tanks ready and waiting the tanks themselves could be moved and the one containing glen tropile did move to a metabolism complex where there were many other tanks all occupied this was a warm room the pyramids had wasted no energy on such foppish comforts in the first room in this room glen tropile gradually resumed the appearance of life his heart once again began to beat faint stirrings were visible in his chest as his habit-numbed lungs attempted to breathe gradually the stirring slowed and stopped there was no need for that foppish comfort either the nutrient fluid supplied all tropile was wired into circuit the only literal wiring at first was a temporary one a fine electrode aseptically introduced into the great nerve that leads to the rhinocephalon the small brain the area of the brain that contains the pleasure centers that motivate human behavior more than a thousand components had been spoiled and discarded before the pyramids had located the pleasure centers so exactly while the component tropile was being programmed the wire rewarded him with minute pulses that made his body glow with animal satisfaction when he functioned correctly that was all there was to it after a time the wire was withdrawn but by then tropile had learned his entire task conditioned reflexes had been established they could be counted on for a long and useful life of the component that life might be very long indeed in the nutrient tank beside tropiles as it happened lay a component with eight legs and a chitinous fringe around its eyes it had lain in such a tank for more than a hundred and twenty-five thousand terrestrial years the component had been placed in operation it opened its eyes and saw things the sensory nerves in its limbs felt things the muscles of its hands and toes operated things where was glen tropile he was there all of him but a zombie tropile bereft of will emptied of memories he was a machine and part of a huger machine his sex was the sex of a photoelectric cell his politics were those of a transistor his ambition that of a mercury switch he didn't know anything about sex or fear or hope he only knew two things input and output input to him was a display of small lights on a board before his vacant face also the modulation of a loudspeaker's liquid-borne hum in each ear output for him was the dancing manipulation of certain buttons and keys prompted by changes in input and by nothing else between input and output he lay in the tank a human black box which was capable of radishevsky's number of switchings and of nothing else he had been programmed to accomplish a specific task to shepherd a chemical called 3712 trihydroxychloranic acid present in the catabolic product of the pyramids through a succession of more than 500 separate operations until it emerged as a chemical which the pyramids were able to metabolize called protoporphine 9 he was not the only component operating this task there were several each with its own program the acid accumulated in great tanks a mile from him he knew its concentration heat and pressure 
he knew all of the impurities which would affect subsequent reactions his fingers tapped giving binary coded signals to sluice gates to open for so many seconds and then to close for such an amount of solvent at such a temperature to flow in for the agitators to agitate for just so long at just such a force and if a trouble signal disrupted any one of the 517 major and minor operations he it was set to decide among alternatives scrap the batch in view of the flow conditions along the line isolate and bypass the batch through a standby loop immediate action to correct the malfunction without inhibiting intelligence without the trammels of humanity on him the intricate display board and the complex modulations of the two sound signals could be instantly taken in evaluated and given their share in the decision was it he still alive the question has no meaning it was working it was an excellent machine in fact and the pyramids cared for it well its only consciousness apart from the reflexive responses that were its program was well call it the sound of one hand alone which is to say zero mindlessness samadhi stupor it continued to function for some time until the required supply of protoporphine 9 had been exceeded by a sufficient factor of safety to make further processing unnecessary that is for some minutes or months during that time it was happy it had been programmed to be happy when there were no uncorrected malfunctions of the process at the end of that time it shut itself off sent out a signal that the task was completed then it was laid aside in the analog of a deep freeze to be reprogrammed when another component was needed it was totally immaterial to the pyramids that this particular component had not been stamped from citizen but from wolf the end of chapter 8 of wolfbane